Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. And I'll read today's teaching text. It comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, as we continue in Mark's gospel. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the countryside, surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish. And those who ate the, fi- the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. And so, Father, I pray that as we um, enter into this time of uh, understanding and unpacking um, your scripture, your words, I pray that you would meet us in that place, that this, this morning would be a reminder of your grace and your truth, the ways in which that you've provided for us in the past and the ways that we can trust you're going to provide for us in the future. Um, For those of us who come into this room and are wrestling with what we believe, um, we're wrestling with a messy church experience or we're trying to figure it all out, I just pray, God, that you, by your spirit, would meet us in this place. And we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So there's actually a study done um, at Cornell in 2013, and their conclusion was that you should never, never, never shop hungry, all right? They actually did one, uh, they did a lab study, and then they did some field studies. Um, One field study that they did observed 82 people's purchases in a supermarket and found that the ratio between high-calorie food to low-calorie food was healthier between 1 and 4 p.m. immediately after lunch, that's when we should go, right after church today, and it was, it was much healthier than between 4 and 7 p.m. leading up to dinner. And you want to know why? Because when you're hungry, you want to buy food, right? You're looking for something to hold you. And what is hunger, right? Hunger finds us every day. It drives us to act and to react. And part of this is a simple confession, actually. I can push through when I'm tired, but if I'm hungry, forget about it. Like, I go to Trader Joe's, and these are the things that I'm walking out with right here. All right? It's all snacks. By the way, these, ch- these corn chip dippers, anybody on the left, walk out of church and buy these. These are fire. 
Unexpected Cheddar, Who's My People? This is the jam. And right now, we are dominating a box of these in the office. The, uh, the dark chocolate peanut butter cups. My daughter and I ate a couple of those secretly yesterday in the office. And this is it right here, guys. This is the application for today, okay? This is what we got for you. No. Have you ever noticed that when you're hungry and tired, you behave in strange ways, right? We tend to do things when we're hungry and tired that we normally may not do. In fact, the recovery community actually has an acronym um, for this. It's called HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And so the acronym is a reminder to take a moment, right? To pause, to take a second and to evaluate, are you feeling hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Because when you are any of these things, you and I are actually vulnerable to self-destructive behavior. Luckily, hunger and being tired are actually easy to address and are actually good warning systems for us before things reach a breaking point. And when we're in one of these states, and I, maybe I could just speak for myself here, I'm vulnerable. Right? I'm vulnerable to be short with others, to withdraw or to snap or to become irritable. Or maybe I could just say it the easiest way, which is it's not the best version of me showing up. And this is actually where we find the disciples. I know it seems very like a very practical thing, but this is actually where we find the disciples. We find them meeting a hungry crowd, but they're wrestling with their own humanity in the midst of it. And what we find is it's not the best version of them showing up. And so today's story is really integral to the life and ministry of Jesus. If you've been to church a hundred times, you've been to church at one time, you've probably heard this story, particularly because it's told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The other thing that is uh, worth noting here is the last uh, bit of the scripture, it says that those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And scholars consistently agree that in this time, they didn't count women and children. So you're probably looking at more like 15,000 minimum people being fed. And so the crowd is growing, right? The need is growing. People are pushing in on Jesus, trying to get his attention, trying to touch him, trying to get healed by him. And what is Jesus doing? He's escaping. And that's a regular rhythm that he has, and we'll see that this week and next week. But Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, come get away with me. Come rest with me. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what Jesus had done. He actually had sent them out two by two to multiply the care and the healing that he had been doing. He sent them out to teach and to cast out demons and to heal the crowds. And so they're kind of coming back to report to Jesus. They're coming back to say, hey, mentor, leader, Jesus, we want to tell you how things went but the crowds find out. And the text is kind of funny. They push off into the boat, into the Sea of Galilee, and it looks as though the crowd is sort of like trying to triangulate, like where's the boat heading? Where's it going to land? And how can we meet Jesus there? And the text in the midst of all that, it says that the disciples had no leisure even to eat. I don't know about you, but Think about a time in your life when you're just depleted, right? You come home from work, you're just like, it's been a long day, I want to do nothing. And then you look down and someone's calling you and it's a friend of yours and they, you just know, like, they need something from me, right? They're gonna take from me. We all have that friend, right? You're like, I have nothing left to give. This is what the crowd is doing to Jesus and to his disciples. And so Jesus meets the disciples and the crowd in this moment. And really what it looks like is a moment of impossibility. And Jesus keeps breaking the barriers of what's possible in this passage. And so this is what I want to talk about today is the ways in which Jesus breaks through our logic. 
I want to talk about the compassion of Jesus. I want to talk about what it looks like to actually become reliant on Jesus. And then we'll uh, end with our announcements and talking about how Jesus is actually enlisting us to be a part of it, which seems quite impossible and logic-breaking as well. And so if you want to pull the uh, text up on your phone, that'd be a great thing. Mark chapter 6, we'll have some of it up on the screen uh, as we go along. But it begins, uh, we'll begin in verse 34. And so here's Jesus' reaction. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And so here we have the hungry disciples and they think, Jesus, not again. But that's not how Jesus feels, right? How does Jesus feel? He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. In the original language, this is a really kind of fun word in the Greek. The word compassion is the Greek word splagnizomai. It's a crazy word, splagnizomai. And it's actually only um, found a few times in the Gospels, and it's only ever used of Jesus. Uh, The splagna is actually a medical word. It's the, the entrails of the body or what we might call like the guts, right? And um, I don't know if, um, if any of you are a worrier or if, if you get tense, but this would be um, a, a phrase, maybe something like, I got a knot in my stomach, or you saw something and you, and you thought, oh, man, that just, that just makes my stomach drop, or that makes me feel sick to my stomach. That's sort of the emotion that's being uh, displayed here. Um, when Jesus saw those people he had compassion on them. He felt it in his guts. He was moved inwardly that he needed to do something about it. And this is Jesus that we find in the Gospels. Um, Earlier in Mark, the man with the withered hand, uh, the rich young ruler, the woman at the well, Jesus is one with compassion. And what the author is purposefully doing here is he's sort of drawing you and he's saying, come here and evaluate What's your, what's your measure or level of compassion? Look at Jesus. Look at how he reacts to people. Look how he loves people. Look at how when he's trying to get away with his disciples, he has compassion. And then look at the disciples, right? They're failing to have compassion. They're trying to get away. And, and you and I can actually relate to them, right? We're like, actually, I get it. I'm, I felt depleted. I have nothing left to give. And then we look at Jesus, the compassion of God made in human flesh, feeding the hungry, teaching, leading, coming on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, and his compassion continually drives him to act. And I think what's even more compelling to me as I read the story is Jesus is not in his normal day-to-day teaching. He's not crossing the shore to, you know, preach in some synagogue or heal, but he's actually trying to get away on vacation with his disciples you know what the last thing I have on vacation is compassion, right? I have a drink with an umbrella in it, but no compassion, okay? He doesn't, he, he, he um, Jesus displays something so different than you and I. He has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And hear that language, sheep without a shepherd. Verse 39 goes on, and he commanded them all to sit down in groups on green grass, So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. Do you hear it? Sheep, shepherd, green grass, satisfies. This passage is drawing from one of the most famous passages in scriptures. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard it. It's Psalm 23. Here it is right here. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? There's a language. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's saying this is the shepherd you're looking for. Here's the, 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 soul, the soul rest that you were looking for, like the thing that you were so seeking, even today the things that you and I so seek, like a nap in a green pasture. How about that for this afternoon? Maybe a little lower temperature, but that would be like the dream, right, to, res- to feel that restoration in our soul. In this time, um, actually last week, it was a pretty bizarre text that Brandon was preaching. Um, Brandon was preaching on a John the Baptist beheaded. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, he did a wonderful job with a very difficult text. But what's happening in this passage is that we're learning about who's the king over this region in the time. It was Herod Antipas. And what we find in the text is here's a man who's throwing lavish parties, having erotic dancers, killing prophets. And really what you're actually getting in these two texts is a, um, a difference or a draw in what the kingdoms of this world look like and what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's the kings of this world. Like they're, they're actually self-serving and they're trying to figure out how to, how to do their own things. They're taking, uh, they're taking taxes from people and they're not tending to the people to care and to oversee. And this passage is saying, well, what is Jesus like? Jesus is like a shepherd who's come with compassion to lead his people, to satisfy his people, to care and to oversee because that's what a shepherd does, right? A shepherd provides leadership and guidance and order because the disciples have actually found themselves in an untended spiritual state. And what are they desiring? Nourishment. Like, pause for a second. Jesus is like, I'm trying to get away. And the crowds are like, we're going to figure out where he's landing. Like, how desperate are they? They're desperate because their king is literally a person who only cares about themselves. And they're desperate for someone um, to think outside of themselves. Right? Not about you, but I'm just beginning to describe something I'm desirous of, something I want for my own life, where I'd say, I want someone to lead me and guide me and give me order. But it's even better than that. Like the compassion of Jesus is even better than that. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We've been, we've been seeing all kinds of amazing things in the gospel of Mark. Jesus is doing amazing things, teaching, healing, but that's not primarily why Jesus came. That's not primarily why Jesus came. Jesus came primarily as a savior, right? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is why Jesus came. He came to die in our place as a substitute to do what we could not do to reach God. And you'd say, I know, Russell, that's what you guys always say when you say these things, right? No, 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 pause. What are you searching for in your life? Like, you and I are on a mission every single day to satisfy ourselves, right? And these are good good and bad ways, searching, crying out for meaning and purpose, trying to figure out what are those things in our life that I can get to fulfill the longing in my soul? How do I Feel a sense of wholeness, right? And the questions become like even more practical as you get down. The question, the big one is like, how do I feel a sense of meaning and purpose in my life? But as it gets closer, it's like, how am I going to be included? How will I fit in in a new community? Will I make any friends? Am I going to make it in the city? Am I going to make it at work, right? This is the journey that you and I are on as people. And in the passage, what we actually find is that journey that we're on is actually met with the compassion of Jesus, 
Like, those two things meet each other. Jesus could have been like, okay, like, guys, write them a check, give them some money, like, pray, move on, send them away. But rather, he's like, no, 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 I'm actually moved to die for these people. Like, that's how much I love my people. And that's how much Jesus loves us. Like, he's not content to just, like, fix our bodies here in the present, but he actually is seeking to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul and, and maybe the invitation inside of that is, could you just accept that, like, like as a gift? Could you just accept the compassion of Jesus breaking through? And I said in the beginning that that's an, an ability to break through logic. Like, you and I sit in rooms like this, and you know what we ask? Am I going to be included? Does anybody care that I'm there? Like, is there actually something worth value? Am I, am I a person that's of, of value? Am I lovable? Am I a person worth loving? And Jesus is like, I'm going to break through the logic in your brain, the pattern that you're going through. And he's like, I am coming to lay down my life for my sheep because I'm the good shepherd. But the story continues on. Like he's, it's not content to just like stay there and to say that this is the compassion of Jesus, but Jesus is actually um, drawing a sort of separation between what's possible and what's not possible. Uh, Here's verse uh, 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus, it's late. <laughs> like You've been preaching for a while, man. Like It's been a long time. We're in the middle of nowhere. People are getting hungry. I'm, I'm like, Jesus, how do you, where are you getting all this energy? All right? Like, we know that you're human. We know that you're God. But like, where are you getting all this energy? We're tired right? The disciples are so different from um, Jesus, but when I was reading this passage, I thought, actually, that sounds really sensible. Like, send them away to get, get their own food. Like, you, they've been with you for a while. They heard, they heard the stuff that you wanted to come across and say, and uh, in the original language, the emphasis is on the, the word themselves. Like, send them away to get their own food. Like, that's what I want you to do, man. And Jesus puts it back on, you, on them with the sort of same emphasis. Um, verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And we should definitely hear this sarcastically. Like, Jesus, should we go get two-thirds of a year's wage on food to feed these people? Like, I'm hangry. Like, whatever you want. Like, I'm over it, right? Jesus, you can't feed everyone. Send them away. And maybe we should just admit it. Like, we're just like the disciples, right? Tired, worn out, indifferent, and um, I, was, I was even thinking about the passage um, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus in Matthew 6 says, like, um, why worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. You're like, that's true. Like, I'm, I got enough problems today, Jesus. I don't want to think about other people. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, it says this. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Jesus, you want me to be compassionate. I'm fatigued right? I'm tired. I'm worn out. I don't, I have enough on my plate. I don't have another dollar to give to the person on the train. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time to listen to my friend. Like it's just too much. And by the way, Jesus, we're on vacation, right? Like we're on vacation. And so we see so much, but we're moved so little. And there's actually a word for it. Here's on the screen, uh, compassion fatigue. It's a condition. Katie, we flip that slide. Um, compassion fatigue. You've missed like eight, so keep going. There you go. Condition characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion. 
leading to a diminished ability to empathize or feel compassion for others. Condition characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion, leading to a diminished ability to empathize or feel compassion for others. And I wonder if this is what's happening to the disciples. I don't know many of you in here work in these fields where you care for other people, right? Teachers, caregivers, therapists, counselors, social work. You know that the weight of what that feels like. Um, I remember the, the first month I, I moved to New York, I was, um, I was right here in Union Square, and I was transferring from train to train, and in between the 456 and the NQRW, there's like a, a little bit of a walk, and there was a, a woman um, like on the ground, and, it, and she, the way she was positioned, it looked like she had almost like fallen over, and I remember a handful of people kind of coming over, and I was like, I'm going to go over with them and see what we can do. Um, we got her some water. We, we waited there for her, um, for her until the medics arrived. And I got to thinking maybe like six months later, like how many times I've seen the same exact thing and I just walk by or like my, my noise-canceling headphones like give me the inability or give me the ability to like ignore that. But like the grit and the needs of the city can actually drive us to lack compassion. It sort of grinds on us in that way. And I have to wonder if that's not what's actually happening to the disciples. The passage says um, in verse 35, and when it grew late, and the passage is like a double, like after all that waiting, like it's getting late. It's been a long time. And really what I find is I'm, I'm this way too, is that the disciples are actually consumed with the clock. Like they, they, they can't stop looking like we, we got to go, Jesus, like it's getting late. And what they're staring at the clock does, it actually prohibits their compassion Here's how Henry Nouwen writes. He says um, what it looks like to be consumed with the clock. He says, clock time keeps saying, hurry, hurry, time goes fast. Maybe you will miss the real thing, but there is still a chance. Hurry to get married, find a job, visit a country, read a book, get a degree, try to take it all in before you run out of time. Clock time always makes us depart. It breeds impatience and prevents any compassion from being together. Oh, there it is. Clock time, let me read it again here. Clock time keeps saying, hurry, hurry, time goes fast. Maybe you will miss the real thing, but there's a chance. Hurry to get married, find a job, visit a country, read a book, get a degree. Try to take it all in before you run out of time. Clock time always makes us depart. It breeds impatience and prevents any compassion being together. That's the clock, right? Our next thing, the next meeting, the next task, it prevents us from seeing the person in front of us that needs to be loved. And I think um, this personally hits me as someone who's thinking about that constantly. What's the next hill to climb? What's the next thing we have to do? And that level of impatience actually makes me lack compassion for other people. Um, I had this beautiful moment um, back in 2015. Um, I, I worked at this church at the time, and I had been there for four years. And every four years, um, just to give the pastors their rest, they gave me a 40-day sabbatical. Um, nothing happened. It was just uh, an opportunity to be present. It was really beautiful. And so during that time, I, I wore this watch. And right before I had gone on sabbatical, um, the watch broke. But I thought it looked cool. And so I was like, I'm wearing this thing even though it can't really tell time. And I intended to get it fixed, um, but as I was wearing it, I would, um, I would regularly look at the watch, and then I would remember, oh, my watch is, is broken. Like, it doesn't, there's, there's nothing that this thing can tell me that's of value, but I would keep looking at it. And every time I looked at it, I was reminded, it doesn't matter what time it is. 
You're actually supposed to be resting. You're not supposed to be trying to figure out the next task or where you need to be, but you actually just need to be present, to be refueled and to rest. And what's actually taking place in this passage is the disciples are actually figuring out their limitations, right? The limitations, this story in the background, running in the background is human frailty. We've already talked about how tired they are. We know that they're hungry, but what they're really coming to is, Jesus, we don't have what it takes to feed 15,000 people. We don't have it. And I think what Jesus' response is essentially this. I know you don't. I, I know. I knew all along. Disciples are looking at all the problems, and all they see is lack, right? Time, lacking. Food, lacking. A scarcity mindset, right? That, that's human frailty at work. But Jesus keeps reminding them, focus on the things you possess. Focus on the things that you do have. And he's not looking at the disciples and saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be good enough. I want you to hustle. I want you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He's not looking for them to muster up a miracle. I think what he's simply trying to say is, can you believe and trust that you are in the presence of the compassionate God who does the miracle? And I want to challenge us today. Jesus, Jesus knows that when you come into this place, how tired you are. He knows how insecure and inadequate you feel in your workplace. He knows how difficult your relationship is right now, and he knows your needs. He knows the impossibility of the situation you find yourself in. He's aware of it, and he knows. And so there's a shift taking place. And the shift is we keep saying, what can I do? How do I do this? What can I figure it out? Right? Even, this is like our spiritual question. It's actually the wrong question. How do I grow in my relationship with God? How do I figure this out? How do I have more faith? How do I do, do, do? And in turn, we're asking the wrong question. It's a shift. It's a simple shift, but it's not what, what can I do, but what can God do? And what does he say? How many loaves do you have? Five and two. Five and two. We have, we have five loaves and two fish. More than enough for Jesus. Five loaves and two fish is more than enough for Jesus. Can you rely on Jesus in the midst of impossibility to pray and to say, God, I'm asking for you to make a way where this seems impossible? Or to even in prayer say, God, it feels like you're actually nudging me to that, that person. It actually feels like you're nudging me to reach out to my neighbors. It actually feels like you're nudging me to quit my job. And it just seems so irrational and dumb. And how do I take a step in this? And most of the times what you find is you're like, I don't have it in me. I feel so inadequate for the task at hand. I don't feel like I have the right qualifications. It just doesn't seem like the right thing. And Jesus is like, now you're getting it. Like now you're in the process of relying on me amongst the impossibility of it. And so we have compassion of Jesus. We have the dependence that we need in the midst of impossibility. And here's the last thing. A breaking through of our logic is enlistment. Jesus is like, yeah, you got the job now. You're going to be a part of it. One of the brilliant things about this passage is it, it really relies uh, heavily on the Old Testament. A, a, a good Jewish um, child would actually really understand that this passage, if they read it, is like seeping with Old Testament wisdom, Psalm 23, Exodus chapter 16. And really what you're finding um, in the Exodus narrative is the Israelite people are wandering in the wilderness. You can go read the whole thing in Exodus chapter 16. They're begging for provision. Will someone feed us? Will someone provide for us in the midst of what we're going through? And what we find in that chapter is that God is raining down manna from heaven. And I was like, 
Well, if you start reading this story, that's what you might expect. That God would actually just make provisions that way. Like all of a sudden, food would come from heaven. Bread, fish, rain it down, right? Jesus could have done all of this alone, but rather he looks at his disciples and he says, how many loaves do you have? These are inciting words, right? Rather than simply relieving the crisis, mapping out a plan for the people, Jesus is inviting us into the solution. You give them something to eat. We have five loaves and two fish, Jesus. That's not enough. It's woefully inadequate. And maybe the most important thing in the story is, um, and it's probably one of the easiest things to miss, is that God is not limited by our inadequacies. God is not limited by our inadequacies. Jesus takes what they have, and he does great things with it. They only see impossibility. Jesus sees possibility. And maybe that thing that you have, maybe it's a gift that you have, maybe it, it seems sort of insignificant. But placed in the hands of Jesus, it's no longer insignificant. You and I are actually enlisted. And so all through Mark's gospel, what we've been um, really talking about is that God's kingdom is breaking through. The in-breaking kingdom of God is now at hand, right? What, 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 um, what we long for in the future gets glimpses in the here and in the now. And Jesus is like, exactly. I want you to be a part of the in-breaking kingdom of God. And so what do you have and how are you using it? Do you have time? Do you have time on your hands? How are you using that for the kingdom of God? How does God want to use you in that? Do you have resources, money? How are you using that for the kingdom of God? Do you have the gift of empathy? We are desperate for it. We need your gift, all right? This world is desperate for the gift. Do you have the gift of hospitality or leadership, or does it begin to get more practical? Do you have graphic design skills? How are you being enlisted in the kingdom of God? And right, you're like, that doesn't make any sense that that would be my contribution exactly. It's breaking again through the logic. It doesn't make any sense. God doesn't need the disciples to figure this out, and yet he invites them in. I heard a story in our community a couple weeks ago, and I'll leave all the names out of it. Um, But it, when I think about, like, why we, why, we even, like, why we even want to start our church, I think of moments like this. One of our community groups, um, someone was having a really tough go in their relationship, and they didn't, they didn't show up to community group. And a couple in their group reached out and just said, hey, I'm checking in. Is everything okay? Um, you, you know, you weren't at community group. And the individual said, no, like, it's not really. Like, I'm having a hard time in my relationship, and I won't, I won't share any details. But the couple just said, do you need anything? And the person just said, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't need anything. And the couple said, well, what about some company? And the person said, and the person told me this. They said, I, I wanted to say no, but I said yes. And the couple just went to their house and was just present with them just for a few hours, just sit with them, listen to them. The couple had time and presence, and they gave their ear, and it was a pure gift to somebody else who was going through a hard time. And to me, I, I read this passage, and it just seems like I can't wrap my head around why it would even matter, like what kind of connection I could have to this. And then you just come to the simple question, what, what do you have, and could you believe that God could use it? And even more than that, could God multiply it? Like, even if you feel inadequate with the thing that you have, could God use it, and could he multiply it? And so let me end um, with this. As a church, 
We want to embody the renewal we're talking about. I don't want to preach Mark's gospel and then um, take some like emotionally healthy principles and walk away with it. Like, I, I, that's great. And, and um, if that's helpful to you, that's awesome. And I'm really glad. But I actually want us as a community to embody the renewal that we've been talking about through this gospel. And so we want it for ourselves, yes, but we equally desire it for other people. That reunion would be a community following Jesus and following through with this back half, seeking the good of our city. And so here are announcements um, for today. And these things um, are things that we have coming up that are a way or an invitation into this level of compassion. Uh, if you're new around here, this, um, these would be great opportunities to get involved, to serve, I mean, to get a real feel of what it looks like to be a part of our community. And so, and they're kind of save the dates because some of them are a little bit ahead. Um, also, this is a really practical time. Grab your phone, look at your calendar, see if you have the avail availability for these dates. June 17th, it's a Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. I know it's Friday but you're fake working at that time anyway. Um, you are, I know. Um, it's the Juneteenth Resource Fair with the Youth Justice Network. And so um, also it's at this time because when we talked to the Youth Justice Network, they said it's important for our youth to get home before it gets dark. And so that's why it's in the afternoon in this way. And so our role in this resource fair is we are the hosts. And so we've reserved a lawn at Madison Square Park and we are creating an environment for these formerly incarcerated youth and their family um, to come and to find out resources that are available for them. And so we're going to host that. The resources are anywhere from job and resume building to um, health care. Um, last time I was on a call with them, it was dental care, art therapy. And so we're really going to facilitate this environment. Um, we want it to be a fun environment, so we have some games that are planned. Um, and so if you'd like to make help, the, uh, help make this happen, um, you can actually scan the QR code, register for the event, and what you'll actually get in return is an, an immediate email, and that email goes to a sign-up genius where you can sign up to help in some capacity, whether it's bringing supplies, ordering food, I believe the budget is already listed on there, and we'll pay for that, this is already budgeted money, um, running a game, helping with setup or teardown, and I believe that there's 20, I think there's 20 slots to fill and so let's not hesitate in, in filling that up, and this is a way of us embodying this type of renewal. Um, next, our summer community groups, June 20th, are going to start that week. Right now we have uh, four um, community groups um, that are going to be kind of meeting all over the city. I believe two are going to be uptown, one is going to be downtown, and then one is going to be um, right across uh, the river in Brooklyn. And um, these are environments that we want to create where people can share stories, read scriptures, pray for one another, and eat food. Our, community, our summer community group season is going to last about six weeks. Um, the registration for this, you're not going to see it there yet. It's not quite ready, but we're almost there. And so by next week, um, we should have those up. But please save the dates. Um, in terms of what night of the uh, week those meet, it depends on the leaders. Um, sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Wednesdays, maybe even after church on a Sunday. Uh, might meet. And then last thing is the Father's Heart. It's a hunger prevention program. And I really want to challenge us. I was reading this passage this week and it was like, Jesus is feeding hungry neighbors. And I'm like, oh, we should probably feed hungry neighbors, like in a really practical sense. And we love the Father's Heart. It's on 11th between Av A and Av B, hunger prevention program um, where we package food and talk to individuals in need. We make sure the food is distributed pro uh, properly. And you notice that date is like really far in advance, and it's because their signups fill up. But I want us to show up as a church together that day um, so that we can meet those needs. And um, the link 
on the link tree is directly to the Father's heart. And so check your schedule, make the commitment now, even though it's uh, a ways ahead. And this is a way that we can begin to embody the type of renewal and the things that we want to see in the city. And so that is the feeding of the 5,000. And we're going to finally get into chapter 7, maybe at some point in the coming weeks. All right, let's pray. And so, Jesus, by your spirit, may we be a church of compassion. May we be people that do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. I pray that that little nugget of of wisdom that we heard today would amount to courage and to faith, to listen to the needs around us. Maybe even just a sort of like barometer, a measurement of, of who we are and who we desire to be. But the beautiful thing about the passage is you don't leave us hanging. We feel inadequate. We feel our limitations. We feel lack. But you possess no lack because you have everything we need. And so, Father, as we move into this time of communion, may we really come face to face with our limitations. May we come face to face with our sin. And may we be met with your grace and with your truth that you love us despite us. And so as we move to the communion table now, may we be reminded that you love us despite us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.